Hey, this is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our spotlight tonight is the heart of a champion. My guest is Wally Jones, NBA All-Star Champion and Philadelphia basketball legend. He's an author, businessman and speaker, and host of Sports Inside and Out. We talk about how working in collaboration with others leads to success in your business and personal life. Wally and I are coming at you right now. Wally Jones, welcome. Yes, how are you today, Sabrina? I'm doing wonderful. Beautiful weather, and uh, now that the spring is springing up, I think all of us are in a, in a cheery mood, and it's nice to talk with you today. I wanted you to tell the listeners who you are. I'm speaking with Wally Jones, one of the first NBA All-Stars out of Philadelphia. Tell us uh, where you're from and uh, your growing up years, and, uh, you know, just a little bit about Wally. No. Well, you know, I think I was so fortunate. Um, when you see a big family, you have that love and closeness. Uh, there were nine of us. And one of the things my father instilled in us was the uh, reading. I think it's so important. Uh, my mother's father and mother were graduates from Wilberforce. And that's back in the day when they came back from Ohio to Philadelphia. Unfortunately, they weren't allowed to teach. And that gives you the situations of what happened with the well, during those times, we called Negroes. Uh, in reference to my grandfather and grandmother, uh, they had to pursue other avenues. My father was in the YMCA system, and my grandmother did a lot of uh, domestic work. But they were educated, and that's something my mother and father taught me. My father's also a graduate from my high school, Overbrook High School. Uh, Guy Buford, first African-American astronaut, Will Chamberlain, Will Smith. I can name... So many wonderful people who attended that school. And uh, when my father went to school at Overbrook, uh, he's the oldest at 101. The oldest wow. alumni alive. Yeah, he's 101, Sabrina. And very active, mind sharp, very active in the community with his Masons. And when he went to high school, unfortunately, as a tremendous baseball player, when he got out of high school, he played semi-pro baseball and barnstorm with the Negro League. So, he said in high school they wouldn't allow them to compete in baseball. So it's a different era at, at his age, what happened to him. But later on, even when I went to school, uh, it was half African-American and half Jewish-American. And one of the things that I pride myself with our coach um, made us scholar athletes. He said, you're not here to play ball. You're here to get education. And so – even though we were one of the greatest teams in high school basketball after Will Chamberlain's teams, uh, my brother won championships there, my older brother, and then we were 84-4, and four, but we were scholar athletes that had an opportunity to get scholarships. So I think that's so important because the during my older brother's era, a lot of schools weren't recruiting uh, African Americans to the universities, not only in Philadelphia, but also down south, so my my older brother went to North Carolina A and T, uh, and a lot of the other great athletes that came out of Philadelphia, like John Cheney, the coach of Temple University for years, and my high dean teacher in high school told me that he had to go to Bethune Cookman because none of the city schools were getting they they were the top players in Philadelphia during that time, during Will Chamberlain's time, because I think. When you speak of Will Chamberlain, he was the first African-American to play at Kansas University. 
So I'm going back in the era when I'm talking about my age, when you talk about the 60s or 64, I went to Villanova University where there were maybe 4,000 students and only 20 African Americans. Most of us were football, track, basketball, and all Catholic school. I wasn't Catholic, but I went to a university. Uh, wonderful education, but you had to co wear a coat and tie to class, coat and tie to eat. So it was a different wow. discipline from being from the inner city, Sabrina. So gave me an opportunity. What about your growing up family years? You have nine brothers and sisters. Your family also is an interesting dynamic in that your father taught you work ethics. Tell us about that and how it actually shaped you as a person well before the whole basketball thing started. Yeah, I think what's important in my life was, uh, hey, Dad, I need some sneaks. He said, son, well, <laughs> there's nine of you. I don't have it. You know, we used to get old Converse and put, when you get holes in them, you put cardboard in them. So he said, I'm going to teach you guys a trade. So all my brothers, uh, we actually, when I was 12 on Saturdays, I'd go paint and learn the trade of interior, exterior decorating. So as I got older in my teens, I actually worked for a real estate company and my brothers where we did not only interior decorating and exterior, but also I didn't paper hang, but my older brothers and my father paper hang. And so it gave me an opportunity to earn money. So I had an opportunity to have a savings account. And um, the idea that I had a car when I was 16, it was an old beat-up car. But he told me one thing. If you work hard, good things will happen and to have a trade. So I'm, I'm so blessed to have that in my life. Very important in my family was reading. Uh, they were avid readers, my mother and father. And uh, when he told me what he had to go through and read when he became a mason at very young age of 45, he explained what he had to go to reading and studying. So it was always instilled in us. I had a brother that went to uh, Denver University. I have a brother that went to A&T. Sisters that went to Temple, Pittsburgh University. Uh, so he instilled in us, and my older brother went to Air Force Academy, so he instilled in us the importance of an education because he wanted us to have a better life than he had. He provided for us, believe me. Uh, uh, when you talk about learning a trade and working with him, it, it just taught us something that's very important. If you work hard, good things will happen. So I was yeah, fortunate. He said that he, his trade was in decorating. Masonry? Yeah, interior, yeah, interior and exterior decorating. That's painting, paper hanging, uh, things like that for a real estate company. So we worked all over Philadelphia, but my older brother and I, we actually contracted. Uh, just my brother and I would contract with other pay people that were construction that would hire us to paint new homes or old homes. We would contract. So I learned very early about having my own money, savings account, and, um, you know, it just helped me through my years. Of course, at Villanova, you didn't have that much time to do anything but go to school. It gave me an opportunity to uh, be drafted and an opportunity to play professional basketball with the Baltimore Bullets. So it gave me a chance to earn a living in the profession that I had a dream of. Actually, uh, it was a dream. Coming out of high school, there were four All-Americans on our team, Wayne Hightower, Ralph Haven, and Walt Hazard who's my best friend, and I actually had a chance to play with the Baltimore Bullets where I made the NBA All-Rookie team with my high school teammate, Wayne Hightower. So wow. those experiences, yeah, it was. I'm very fortunate. I'm blessed. 
and then to be traded to my hometown back to Philadelphia was uh so wonderful to play in your hometown and play on a championship team that uh was named the NBA's greatest team for the first 35 years and that was what such was Philadelphia a like back in the late 50s uh late 50s and 60s what was Philadelphia what was the the breakdown, uh, we're talking still about uh, segregation in those times, even though you went to integrated school. What was it like? Well, it was like anywhere else. You know, they have your own communities. There were Italian neighborhoods. Ours is northeast. were mostly white. Uh, but people got along. It's just the idea, unfortunately, when it was uh, a lot of gang problems. It's no different than what's happening in Chicago. It wasn't as much uh, killing. But it was violent, uh, gangs, territorial idea of that. So <clears throat> when you look at the, um, the idea of Philadelphia, um, we call it a police state because of when I played professional basketball, I was outspoken about police brutality and how they treated gangs and how they treated black people. And, um, I experienced something Colin Kaepernick experiencing, uh, uh, they wouldn't trade me or play me. So um, I wasn't able to work. And what year was that? That was 1971. Wow. Where they wouldn't trade me or play me. And uh, Uh that's 71. So uh, I was fortunate to have the first African-American general manager, Wayne Embry, to sign me with the Milwaukee Bucks who had Wayne High, um, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Oscar Robinson, Bobby Damage, Lucius Allen, John McLaughlin. They had won the championship the year before, so they they actually traded for me. They didn't trade me. They just bought my contract because they didn't – I was suing for the Sherman Antitrust against slavery and not being able to work. So wow. the Sixers had to get me out of town because I was I was outspoken about how they treated us. So the same thing that's happened well, How long to were you out of court during Kaepernick. that time? How long were you Well, out uh, that's from – well, you're out of work from training camp. You're talking about the summer till December. So everybody's already so what working. Year? That's 1971. Okay, two, so, 1972 or three. Were, were you out more than one? Well, it, it came into it came into the year of 72. I was dissolved from uh, uh, October till December. And when we sued the Sixers for the Sherman Antitrust Act, uh, that's when they traded me to the Milwaukee Bucks in December. And I won't forget that because it was a blizzard up in Milwaukee during that time. And uh they brought me in, and I played for them for a year and a half. And then I went on to play with other teams, Detroit, Utah, and other teams. But that experience, they let me know, uh, you know, there's cause for speaking out. And uh I commend Colin Kaepernick. I spoke out about police brutality, and unfortunately, I suffered financially. And a lot of other things happened to my life that, uh, you know, when you're ostracized as being a troublemaker, and when you're talking about police brutality, um, I was labeled as a militant, should I use that terminology, maybe. During those times, I think people that don't know about people that were against the establishment that spoke out against things they were called militants. So I just spoke out about the injustices and the police brutality in Philadelphia, so they got me out of Philly. So other than that, you mentioned um, there was a gentleman. You mentioned a gentleman who um, even uh, had, you know, kind of the, the Gestapo thing, where he was uh, 
having uh, altercations with uh, the Black Panthers. Oh, wow. Well, even to this day, they're trying to take his statue down. His name is Rizzo. What's his name? And when I, uh, oh, Rizzo, wow, Rizzo. He's the police chief. He's the police chief, and they have a statue they're trying to take down now. To this day, I'm talking about today. This just happened last year. So what happened, I spoke out against him because uh, we as professional athletes, they're impressionable identification with young people. So we were trying to stop the gang violence. But there was so much police brutality. And what happened with him, he came to a Black Panther office down in uh, West Philly and had eight or nine black men actually get naked and have a revolver. I have a poster that shows, we call him the Gestapo, of him with his leather jacket. And this is the police chief with a revolver pointing at these black men who he made come outside of their office and get naked. So I have a very bad impression of what it was like living in Philadelphia, um, the way we were treated with uh, being stopped, being ostracized, uh, uh, driving while black. I'll be, there were instances where I was actually visiting my mother and the cops stopped me. I came from Sixers practice and they put me in a paddy wagon and put handcuffs on me. And I said, sir, my name is Wally Jones. I play for the Sixers. And he said, there's a Robbie down the street and you look like the guy. <laughs> and oh, I can't tell you how humiliating it was they be in a paddy wagon, locked up with somebody else who's in there, and went to the taxi driver. He said, no, it wasn't him. Uh, so oh, I uh, things like that happen. You know, um, I, I just have to say, I just have to say that those experiences made me who I am today. Uh, you have to stand up for something or you'll fall for anything. So those are just things that happened. I was glad that I was out of Philly, experienced Milwaukee. I went to Detroit. I went to Utah to play and then back to Philly. I ended my career in Philadelphia in 76. So um, I, I did end my career there. Let's, let's talk about you in getting from Villanova, which is a really well-respected school, into the 64 draft. Um, what was that like and what was uh, the NBA like at that time? Well, there are only 16 teams, and uh, I made All-American. Um, there was an incident in my yearbook, Walt Hazard and I, who's a great player from UCLA, um, the sturdy and old championship team that he won for John Wooden. He was the first winner for UCLA and also later coached UCLA. Well, we had a dream of playing in the Olympics, and um, I we thought we were going to go to 1964 Olympics together. Uh, they had Olympic trials, and uh, I have an article that my son found that said that I should have made the team, but because there were too many blacks and my style of play, they picked Larry Brown, who's one of the all-time great coaches, and mm -hmm. Dick Davies, whose brother who played in Olympics. So they selected two guards to make the Olympic team where I didn't make it. So he sort of got the... New York Times and saw the article where everybody said I should have made it. But there are instances in life where um, because of the color of your skin, and that's a dream that I had. So when I was looking to play pro ball, I knew that I'd be drafted because I was an All-American. And I did well in the Olympic trials. Uh, but I was drafted by Detroit 
And before I went to Detroit, I was traded to Baltimore, where I played for the Baltimore Bullets and made the NBA All-Rookie Team. So there's a journey of a lot of disappointments, but a way in my life, a dream came true that I was playing on a professional basketball team. Not only that, one of my high school teammates, Wayne Hightower, from Overbrook, also was on that team. So I was fortunate to have a guy I played with in high school from Philadelphia on the same team as a rookie. So there's some fortunate things that made me who I am today. And then I was traded back to Philadelphia in 65, 66, and later played on that 66, 67 World Championship team. So uh, those experiences wow, are just life. Excited. Yeah. Oh, exciting. When you go home and you play with one of the greatest basketball players ever, I was on the team with four Hall of Famers, Wilt Chamberlain from Overbrook High School, of course, Chet Walker, Hal Greer, and Billy Cunningham. We had four Hall of Famers. And I uh, also played on a team that had Matt Gukas from St. Joe, uh, Philadelphia School, and Bill Melchione, uh, who I played with at Villanova. So I was fortunate to have friends and people that I grew up with, especially guys like Will Chamberlain, because he took such an interest to us uh, as a Renaissance man, very intellectual man. People don't give him enough credit for that, but he would come to our high school games. He'd always inform us. Uh, be a scholar athlete. He was a scholar at Kansas. Uh, well-rounded man, universal, very intelligent, and a, a man that always told us about being a scholar athlete. So I was fortunate to have wonderful people around me to support me and to be on that championship team, which they honored this year. It's our 50th year anniversary, and a lot of our players and coaches have passed, but eight of us came back to be honored in front of the 76ers this year. So I, I have to say this. I'm blessed, and um, uh, those honors are something to be proud of, and I'm proud of that. I wanted to ask you um, something. You know, I, you mentioned er, that your family had gone to Wilberforce and, and, and many of the HBCUs uh, that uh, were the big deal, really, before the whole integration started. I was wondering, were you ever uh, influenced by the Negro Leagues? Because I, I bring that out. People don't understand that, yes, you were part of the uh, one of the first people, along with Bill Russell and, um, you know, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, to really integrate what we know today as the NBA sport. But what about the Negro Leagues? How influential are they, and who are you influenced by? Well, w- one of the things that influenced me, there are guys um, – that you talk about, Earl Lloyd was the first African-American to play in the NBA. Earl Lloyd played at West Virginia State. One of my sons went to West Virginia State. Whenever I see Earl Lloyd before he passed away, I would grab him because he's the one that drafted me to Detroit. And there are are players that are in Philadelphia like John Chaney, Sonny Hill. I mean, these are great basketball players who – were in the Eastern League. Now, that was like the uh, semi-pro league in basketball. And that was a big influence to me because I played with, uh, well, as a young kid, I not only played Hal Lear. I mean, great players out of Temple that were never drafted because a lot of guys didn't, didn't get a chance to play, not only in white university, but also didn't get a chance to play in the NBA. So 
I was influenced by, um, you could say, 20 to 25 ball players out of Philly that were great. And they weren't only just <laughs> African-Americans. They were Tom Gola, um, Pickles Kennedy, uh, Bruce Drysdale. There were great white ball players in our community that we played with and against that influenced me. Mm-hmm. So uh, what happened to me was uh, even my brother played in the Eastern League. He didn't make it in the NBA, but he played in the semi-pro league. But what 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 got in our era was that we were ball players that were now getting to be looked at to be drafted into the NBA, and that's in the 60s, uh, 64, I should say, one of the 60s, 64, right after the Olympics. Uh, we were drafted, so there are a lot of African Americans that were drafted, but there were only, I would say, 18 teams. So if you're wow. selected out of all those quarter of a million ball players out of college, you're in a select group that uh, makes a team. Now, during those days, the teams are now, um, let's say, 90% black. During our times, it was probably 50-50. The NBA, on an NBA team, there were 50 um 50% black and 50% white. So it's such a different era. And um, when you talk about era, the, even the salaries, uh, I'm drafted um, 9500 uh, Billy Cunningham, wow. uh, white ball player, first round draft, made 12500 We all had summer jobs, Sabrina. We worked during the summer uh, trying to supplement our income because we didn't make a lot of money. Then we got into 25000 50000 In the 70s, Wilt Chamberlain was one of the first to make 100000 And Bill Russell, to show that he was better than Wilt, was 101. Of course, Bill Russell at that time, they had won eight championships in a row. And with when we beat the Boston, with the Celtics, I'm telling you, they were great. As a matter of fact, in Villanova, I asked our coach, Jack Kraft, if we could wear black sneaks to emulate the Boston Celtics. Uh, these are black <laughs> converses. So, I mean, you know, I looked up to those teams, and they had, of course, there are other teams that had African-American ballplayers on them. Even though I'm from Philly, I admired the Boston Celtics, the way they played, the way they won. They won eight championships in a row. Now, so how we many found did Bill win? Eleven. So he's the greatest winner now, he of He won any 11 sport. championships. Right, eleven rings, uh, Sabrina. Eleven. <laughs> now, because I thought you, that Robert Parrish, I paired Robert Parrish. I was hearing about him. He won, I believe, five, and he was a ball. Yeah, he may have only won five. Uh, he may have won five, but see, like uh, uh, Shaq, who I was here when we won a championship here with the Miami Heat. I was here when we won that. Shaq has about five or six, like Kobe. But I'm talking about. Does nobody have any more than Bill Russell? Well, Sam right. Jones has about eight, well, one of my best friends, eight or nine himself. So a lot of Celtics that have eight or nine championship rings, but Bill Russell has 11. So uh, he's one of the greatest winners of all time of any sport, you know, championships with San Francisco, high school, Olympics, and the Celtics. So we dethroned them in 67, and everybody in the league was so happy because it was a dynasty. Nobody could beat them. So we finally beat them. Pardon me? wanted to ask you about something. 
not about the professional. Yes. You mentioned something about the uh, church leagues and other things in growing up in your formidable years. Do you think that not only your father's work ethic and you being able to learn, you know, interior design and masonry and all that, do you think that those types of things with churches and civic uh, center help you, and did it help you? Oh, wow. I think it helps so many of the African-American youth and white youth because of the church nobody's leagues. scared about church leagues. We don't know about church leagues. Tell us what, yeah, what was all that about. Oh, that was having uh, churches play against other churches all over Philadelphia, just like rec centers would compete against other rec centers in north, south, uh, southwest Philly, northeast. You had the best players uh, that were like, even when you were 12 up to 15, you competed. Then you had church leagues, uh, 16, 17, 18, where I played St. Matthew's. There were Methodist Church, St. Thomas, uh, Episcopal. There were Catholic leagues. There were Baptist churches. There were all types of church leagues for youth, which kept so many young people off the street. So, I mean, I remember my father and mother have a car full of boys traveling down Christmas Street Y in South Philly to compete in a church league. So you not only had the religious uh, background of the spiritualness of it, but also the camaraderie and family of community. I think what's important is when you're from West Philly, you have a thing about, hey, I'm, I'm from West Philly. Uh, guys have a thing about, I'm from North, I'm from South Philly. Everybody, and I know all these different great ball players from all parts of Philly, but we all have respect for each other because we were from Philly. And see, during those times, they would take the best out of North, South, West, Northeast Philly, and they would take us as teenagers and go play against the best in New York. So you had a pride about being the best out of Philly to compete against the best in New York, against the best in D.C., the best in New Jersey, the best in Baltimore. So there's a pride about community that carried on with my life since I was a teenager because we would compete wow. all the way up to pros I mean, all the way up to being a pro to play against the best in New York. And I can name some of the greatest ball players, Dr. J's, the Connie Hawkins, uh, the Chris Mullins, Charlie Scott. The best in New York would play against the best in Philly. We would go to New York and play, and they come to Philly and play. You know, it's something you grew up with. You grew up with as a teenager. This is not just pros. We're talking about as a teenager, high school player. In New York, New Jersey, Washington, good because you played against the best up and down the East Coast. So uh, that's sort of my background and reference to we call it the brotherhood of all the basketball players up and down the East Coast. Was we all have a, we all have a friendship and a brotherhood since we were teenagers. So that, that's what it was like for me growing up in Philly, and then later on, you know, going to other teams. So. What was your impression? What was your impression? And this is, I'm just came uh, came into my mind. Um, you're kind of that bridge into making it into the NBA. When I mentioned the black schools, black players, you know, others, did you ever know any people from, say, Howard or any of the Cheney or any of those other schools who could have or should have been in? Yeah. Oh, of course. Uh, well, uh, I went to Villanova, and I for four years I never went to any function on my campus. I went to Cheney State, so I knew all the ball players. 
In other words, they didn't have any females or no social event that I went to because it was all white. So I never went to any function for four years. I just worked at the football games at Villanova. But Howard, you're talking about, um, I had a son went to Coppin State, West Virginia State. So I knew that these black colleges were very, uh, very good for not only uh, the ball players that came out of Philly that, that couldn't go to black, white colleges, but some of the greatest ball players ever played, Earl Monroe out of Philly, went to Winston Salem. Well, I could name uh, hundreds of ball players that came from Philly that went down south to play in black colleges, the so black colleges that later on became educators, principals, doctors, lawyers. I mean, I could name hundreds of guys that I grew up with because of their education, Lincoln University, all type of schools that were right. Historically black colleges, should I say. So mm-hmm. even now today, I still broadcast for Sports Inside and Out. I was at the NEAC tournament in Norfolk where Hampton, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Bowie. How long have you been doing Sports Inside and Out? Uh, I would say about six years now. Uh, one of the things that we've had an opportunity to do, we are the voice of the NDA Retired Players Association. We report on all activities in our retired players' chapters around the United States. But we're also on SoundCloud, which is in Europe, iHeart, and we've been on the Armed Forces Network for at least uh, eight to nine years. 